0: How can you not be romantic about baseball? Swing going a high drive to left! This baby's way back! It is out of here! I don't believe what I just saw! Coswell slashes one foul.
1: Oh, that hit a bird! And it bounces back into fair territory!
0: Oh, I gotta I gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to face this chicken.
1: Our is in the jackpot now!
0: You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. Baseball First podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely
1: idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is I
0: love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is scotch scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -hmm. Hello and welcome into another edition of Boozing Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson on another edition of BB. Throwback and chug stat of the week, September 15th, 1982. The Minnesota Twins beat the Texas Rangers 10-2. It was a crowd of just over 3,000 people. Not great there because the combined record of the two teams was 110 and 180 after the game. So that's also not great. Two fifty-one teams at the time. Uh, how about some of these names? Frank Tanana. I don't know if it's Tanana or Tanana. Uh, gets his 18th loss of the year. Finished with a 4-2 ERA, which isn't even like that bad. But he had 18 losses, were in the league for the Twins. Five different players in the game had multiple hits. John Castino went three for four with a double, triple, and two driven in. Kent Herbeck went three for four with two driven in, and Gary Gaetti went four for five with two driven in. Uh, but also, classic 1982 Twins scored 10 runs without a single home run. That never happens anymore.
1: I like the uh, the fact that these teams were so terrible. Only three thousand teams show or people showed up, I should say. It's like the Miami Marlins of the past, right there. These are two franchises, by the way, that have very good fan bases. So kind of sad that that's uh, that's kind of what happened down the stretch there. That. People just kind of tapped out. I think that the Dallas Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings, that's what their their fan bases were probably ready for back in the uh, good old 1982 season. So not shocking that that's what happened. But some really interesting throwback names right there. Kent Herbeck is the one that kind of stands out to me. Um, Nice three for four performance there, as you mentioned. Uh, But yeah, neither team particularly great back then.
0: Okay, uh, our season-long beer pong continues. I hit the Dodgers over the Padres. I should just keep riding the Dodgers. Uh, what are you drinking first, I guess? I keep forgetting to do that.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to have to keep drinking if you keep hitting these shots right here. I Today, I have a Cali Squeeze Lemon Chill. It kind of goes back to the company that I've been using throughout a lot of this season from Firestone Walker Brewing Company, which is in Paso Robles. I, I probably had on this podcast like eight or nine of their different drinks, but I'm excited about this one. Um, it was given to me as a gift for this podcast. And uh, next week's drink will be kind of similar in that sense too. But uh I'm looking forward to this. I'm a big citrus guy. So I'm assuming that I'm going to really like this. What about you? I am drinking a
0: Kroger purified water out of a water bottle.
1: Oh, um, wow. That is hard hitting right there. Take a deep chug of that one. I know. Right. Um I'm, um,
0: a little under the weather i don't know if i'm actually sick or not i have all sorts of like allergies of super stuffed up and uh just playing it safe but anyway you um, know what? playing
1: it safe there would be getting on one knee and chugging like 20 different beers right now i think that's playing it safe that'll that'll get your sickness out of the way i promise you won't remember mm. being sick at all after that
0: no i think i'll feel worse the next morning <laughs> um weird how that works so anyway, uh, the season-long beer pong, I hit the Dodgers over the Padres 2-1. to one. I hit the Giants over the Cubs. They won 2-1. to one. So now I'm on a bit of a roll. We both have just two cups left. This could work out perfectly that it ends on, who knows, maybe the last week of the season coming up here. I will take the Braves over the Phillies. Braves have been hot right now. That's a little risky because the Phillies are good, though, too. And I will take the Mariners over the Angels. It's a bit risky as well because it's a four-game series, but the Mariners need it for their playoff push. The Angels are just bad.
1: I respect so. these picks, man. These are really gutsy picks. Um, Mike Trout's been on absolute terror. So who knows what that accounts for? I feel like every day I'm seeing the classic Shohei Otani breaks this record and this record. Mike Trout hits a home run. The Angels lose 10-3, to you know? So I-, I feel like that is probably a pretty safe pick, even in a four-game stretch. But the Braves or the Phillies, that is a, that is a gutsy pick right there. I will say that. I could have taken the Astros over the A's, but you know
0: what's weird? The A's have actually played the Astros well this year, so I'm going to avoid that one.
1: I think that was a pick that you had earlier this year, too, so that probably bit you and you decided I didn't want to go that route.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so on today's show, we'll have a shotgun six-pack to finish things off, but uh, we're going to kind of like, as the fantasy season kind of dwindles to its end here, we're going to take a look at things, whether it's individual players or whether it's just system things scheme things just generalities that you did well in fantasy and maybe some things that you would do different strategically moving forward or as soon as next year so let's start with with what some things that maybe you felt you did right some things that you thought you got right in fantasy this year what sticks out to you
1: yeah uh you know There are a couple things that I felt good about. So in our keeper league, I made a trade that I felt pretty good about uh, at the time. And now I'm looking at it and I'm really happy I did it. Uh, So I traded Trevor story and a couple bad picks for a couple pick improvements and Gunnar Henderson. And I don't think anybody is sitting there saying that was a bad idea. I I did actually get somebody texting me in the league saying, what are you doing? And I just laughed. I was like, do you not know who Gunnar Henderson is? And at this time, you know, Gunnar Henderson was, not ranked in the top 10 as prospects. So he just kind of assumed, oh, you just got a random prospect and gave up Trevor Story. And I was like, I promise you, in about a month from now, he's no random prospect. Now, did I expect him to be ranked to number one by baseball America? No, I thought maybe he was going to be top five, top 10. It's kind of what I was hearing. But yeah, that was a trade that I think really worked out well for me. And I, I sit back on that and I'm like, I think I'll benefit from that probably for a very long time. He's a young kid. Uh, great talent already produced this year. Happy about that. Another young guy. Uh, I made a trade at the start of the year where I acquired O'Neill Cruz. I did have to give up a lot for him. Um, but you know, there was really the debate in my head of after seeing him struggle so early on, do I trade him? Is he really the real deal? And I've been burned on this so many times in the past that I just decided, no, I, I like no matter what the offer is unless I'm getting an elite top five, top 10 player, like that has to be my price because I can't sit here and give away O'Neill Cruz for, you know, maybe a middle of the road hitter or something along those lines. Like I just wasn't ready to do that. And over the last week or so, O'Neill Cruz is showing exactly what his future value could be. He's got pop. He's got speed. Um, he's been hitting over 300 in the past month with a slugging over 600. So You know, do I expect that to be his numbers every year? No, but I think there's potential that he could be a 30-30 guy. So I'm very happy about those moves. And so I look at that, and I would say those are probably the two biggest positive moves that I made. Anything else, just like little ads that I'm I'm happy about that I made. Uh, Jake McCarthy is one of them. Um, I kind of had my eye on him for a little bit after his initial start. And once I realized that he wasn't just stealing bases, but he was also – hitting and slugging that was a piece that I was very very open to bringing on my team and uh, he turned out to be arguably my best hitter down the stretch so was happy about that Von Grissom was another one I uh, kind of had my eye on him for a while before he was named the Braves top prospect um just kind of saw and went through the minor league rankings and looked that he was stealing bases consistently and was hitting for power and average. And I was like, you know, if that translates at that age, like that would be pretty special. And considering he's got the second base shortstop eligibility that that played a role too. And I think I just kind of got lucky on that ad that he has panned out the way he has already. Um, You know, I look at those moves and say to myself, those ads are probably a key reason why my team had made the playoffs because, A lot of my team got hurt and just was really struggling in the second half. So some of those ads, if I didn't make them, I probably there's a chance that I would have like fallen off so badly that I probably wouldn't have made the playoffs. I mean, it would have taken a huge colossal collapse, but my team really was struggling offensively. So those ads definitely kind of helped shape where my team's direction for the future is not just for the way that my team got into the playoffs this year. What about you?
0: Well, first of all, I'll mention, as we're literally – you were talking about this, Gunnar Henderson hit his first career triple, and it was the third fastest home to third just in terms of sprint speed and stuff uh, there. So you see some of the tools there. I, I do want to – before I get into some of my stuff, I, I'm curious because this is typically something that like, – I'll toot your horn here – that you do as as well as anyone is uh, streaming pitchers, picking up guys who are going to be you know pitching for the day or, or the week or whatever it is, depending on the uh, kind of league availability – how, how did you do with that this year?
1: Oh, so bad. This is the worst that I've ever done in streaming. I've never been so bad at that. And I, I Do you usually think there's recur- a reason why
0: this year as opposed to last year, or are you just kind of like chalking it up to, I'm not going to do anything different next year?
1: Um, Yeah, it's it's hard because I, I think the one thing that I went to, there's one pitcher that I went to this season, and actually I know that you went to him for a little bit too. He wasn't even really a stream as much as he was, kind of like your, your last owned player, and that was Adam Wainwright. I kind of just bought Adam Wainwright being good throughout the rest of the season. And he really has been, he was, he's kind of one that worked out well Uh, keeping that ERA under 3.5 consistently. He's a quality start every other start, generally speaking. And that's something that I'll buy at a low price. And, um, and I know you do too. And so that's something that I I valued when it came to playoff streaming. That's really what burned me this season. Um, Johnny Cueto had turned in numerous quality starts. I mean, it was quality start after quality start. I think he had a streak of like nine consecutive. So what I do whenever I stream is I often base my my pickup off a couple scenarios. Number one is, have they proven in the past that they can do this, right? Like, why would I pick up a pitcher that hasn't shown that they can pitch well, even if they're facing the A's or the Royals? I don't care. If you haven't pitched well against other teams, I don't expect you're going to do that. Well, Johnny Cueto did that. Uh, Corey Kluber was another one that I streamed during the playoffs and he had just shut down the Yankees. I mean, completely shut them down. They looked clueless at the plate Um, and you were seeing like a virtual Corey Kluber reincarnated. So, you know, I felt like the matchup Johnny Cueto had this past Sunday against the A's on the road. Sure. It's on the road, but what, does that matter when you're playing in Oakland? That probably helps you, right? Like the open foul ground, the fact the A's lineup is just garbage. Like it just seemed like it set up perfectly and then Corey Kluber, even though he was on the road in New York, outside of Aaron Judge, nobody was hitting. Um, and so those two I thought really set me up well. And they turned out to be the key reason why I lost my matchup. I mean, I literally lost on the last play of our matchup. Uh, Michael Harris decided to go unconscious. And all I needed, all I needed was Michael Harris to do anything but hit a home run, and I would have won. What does he do? He hits his second home run of the game. And there was my season. I, I, I go back to Matt Stairs hitting the home run off Jonathan Broxton in the playoffs and hearing Matt stairs hits this one deep into the night. Michael Harris's second home run is right up there with it. Now I can't watch (laughs) that home run and not think about Matt stairs. It was virtually the same spot felt like the same call. And it did the same thing to my heart. When I watched it, I was just shocked. I I could not believe it. I had like a 98% chance of winning. I, I looked at the probabilities Only one situation the team I faced could have won, and that one situation happened. It it was, you know, sometimes it's not meant to be, and my team gave me a lot of reason this year not to believe in it, and it's a very appropriate way for the way my team lost. But, yeah, streaming this year was just not really great for me. I don't think that it's going to stop me from streaming next year, but I do think it's going to stop me from streaming older pitchers, actually. I really do. Like, very old veteran pitchers because – sometimes the name can kind of skew your opinion as far as the direction. So I'm talking guys like Madison Bumgarner. I wouldn't stream um, older pitchers that have had past success that, you know, kind of are way past their prime. Those are guys I'm not streaming, even if they're on a hot streak. So don't buy hot streaks necessarily because at any time an implosion can happen and, and you don't want your season to lie on a couple guys that you didn't own two days prior. Right? So you want it. If you're going to lose, lose with your guys. I, as I think what it comes down to.
0: Yeah. So as far as uh, what I think I did well this year, I, I think I was able to find steals from a lot of different sources. Like, you know, in one league I have Julio Rodriguez. So obviously like that helps clearly, but I was able to kind of find it from different people. And, and I would have loved to be able to get like one more steel pillar to really help me in that area. But I think I was able to get a little here, a little there from people. Um, I, I think I did a good job with, with pitching this season, as far as like starting pitching goes. Uh, I was able to get kind of a good depth and hit on some good trades for guys that have had like really good seasons as far as starting pitchers have gone this year. And then I think just kind of trusting in in my farm system. I, I haven't always done that. I've in the past, like in, in Dynasty League, sometimes it's gotten to the point where, you know, hey, this guy's maybe about to come up. And sometimes it's the allure of, hey, the the value might never be higher than it is now. And if I'm getting dangled, this player who can help me right now in front of me, like, I'm going to take it. But I felt a little different about some of the players I had as prospects this year, whether it was Corbin Carroll or Julio Rodriguez. And and I still did it a little bit, right? Like, I I traded away Hunter Brown to someone to to help me get uh, maybe an extra uh, push toward, like, a win-now player, although now Hunter Brown is up and and doing well toward the end of this fantasy season. Um, But... Also kind of being able to, I guess, adjust on the fly to things that have happened. So I'm typically, I like to build rosters that are more offensive-based and then just try to figure out the pitching as the season goes on. Based on just where I found value in trades or how my team was constructed, I found myself with more pitching than hitting. And so I'm proud of myself for the ability that I was able to adjust and try a style that I'm not really used to and found some success with it and, and trying to kind of fill in the holes in different ways this season, which I did find kind of fun along the way of, of definitely doing. And I think that um, being able to ride some hot hands hitter wise, like that made it kind of fun where maybe you're not as attached to all these hitters so that you can, you know, add and drop or, or trade away. Like if, if somebody's not doing well uh, that can definitely make it interesting, but um, also by being flexible, you know, if I, I think one thing that I, I did well that, you know, maybe in three years I'm looking back and saying, well, that sucked that I did it. But I think in the in the moment uh, was trade away some guys that, that maybe the guy, they got injured and they had long term injuries, but maybe they were still good keepers or uh, maybe trading away some guys that were going to be better in the future as opposed to now and still getting value to help me try to win this season and then i I think that the last thing i did well this year was finding some other young guys um and and a lot of it was actually via trade that maybe they weren't being as valued as high as maybe i valued them or maybe they hadn't quite come up yet and and i kind of did the switch to that, that that what i normally do or maybe even guys that they're young but there's something there there's a skill there that i like there's a skill there that um, whether it's an advanced analytic or, or just something that I like about the player that I was able to find some undervalued guys. So like, for instance, Jose Miranda, uh, it was kind of struggling. I went up and got him and, and he's been really good for my team ever since. Like Vinny Pascantino, I got him before he came up and loved some of the numbers there and there's some other guys there as well. So I, I guess it's kind of trying to find that balance of find, don't just, Uh, I guess this would be the biggest lesson that I learned like this year, as opposed to in years past In years past, sometimes I've fallen too in love with what is this prospect ranked? What are his stats in the minors? And this year I was less concerned with, Oh, but is he hitting 300 in double A? Is he hitting? I was more concerned with like, Oh, but what's his exit velocity or what's his walk rate? What's his strikeout rate in the minors, things like that. And like, what are some of the schools, the skills that I think could make him an interesting MLB player and, find guys that you like and target them as opposed to just being like, Oh, I'd be cool taking this guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's something that I did good this year.
1: I, I totally echo that. I I'll add to this too, for what you did um, and, and just kind of giving a, a little bit of an understanding for the people at home that don't know Derek had a buy. He was one of the top two teams in our league. I finished fourth in the standings. Um, you know, I was second going into the, uh, the half and then, My team just derailed. Derek stayed kind of consistent throughout and he made some really good moves. I think the move actually that I'm really impressed by was the trade that he sent away Hunter Brown. And the reason why is yeah, sure. He traded away a pretty decent prospect piece, but from my understanding, Derek, I don't know. Did you start the year with Hunter Brown? I picked him up maybe a month into the season. That's what I was thinking. So in reality, You just sometimes you have to think to yourself, Okay, yes, I had ownership of this player. But the reality is he basically picked him up for nothing and he somehow turned Hunter Brown, Jose Iglesias, Frankie Montas, who I I don't like the situation at all with Montas in New York and then Andrew Benatendi, who's been injured. uh, He traded that for Marcus Semien, who is a controllable piece in doubles or not doubles play second base shortstop, has power, has speed like he's a five tool guy I mean, I, I, really think that that was a great trade actually for you. And, and I know that you had to give up something, but you, you only have to give up something to get something, you know, It, it every trade that you make, it doesn't mean you have to win necessarily on paper, but I feel like that you got good value in that deal. And you, you traded for Merrill Kelly, you know, you gave up a fourth round pick for a seventh round pick and Merrill, I, I think that you took away a good pitcher from the best team on paper in our league at this time. Like you made yourself stronger. You made him weaker this year. Like I I thought that was a great decision. Um, And, you know, I, at the end of the day, you, you've made some really solid moves across the board, but no better move have you made than not trading away your top guy. And that would be none other than Julio Rodriguez. You know, you, you didn't budge at any trade offer that was made for him. And I know that you got a lot of good offers for him, probably ones that were at least somewhat appealing, but, there was nothing in your mind that said, I'm going to let this guy go because we all know that Julio Rodriguez is the best chance to be a number one, two or three guy for years to come. Right. So that was really probably your best move was not trading away the guy that has the biggest potential. And and Julio Rodriguez wasn't great in the first month of the season, you know, like he wasn't showing that he was going to be lights out all-star superstar. And then he just turned it on and, you know, now here you are. Um, and I will say this too. Andres Jimenez is probably your most underrated guy on your team, as well as Yandy Diaz. Those two analytically, they're solid. Yandy Diaz is like a puzzling piece to me because he'll go on these stretches where he just doesn't hit the ball at all. And then he'll go on these tears where he hits like three hits a game or something. It's nuts.
0: It's because he hits everything on the ground. He's kind of like an Eric Cosmer. So he'll find rhythms where he gets it in the air and he's hitting it hard. But, it's it's just inconsistent because of that.
1: Well, you caught him at a good time because he's been leading off the majority of uh, games. He's only been rested once, uh, I believe, over the last month, which is a record for Tampa Bay Rays, I swear. But, um, you know, Yandy Diaz, Andres Jimenez, those kind of pieces right there are a key reason why Derek is at where he's at right now, which is a chance to win a title. So uh, and you've had to do that without having healthy pitchers down the stretch here of Justin Verlander and Shane McClanahan. But You built such a nice, solid lead in second place that, you know, even with those losses, you didn't have to worry about the first round drama. Right. So that you did all that right. And that that got you in a good spot.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's get to some of the stuff we did bad. You mentioned Frankie Montas. That was one of mine. I thought he was going to have a really good year. I I think some of it is injury related and and I don't love the park in in New York. So maybe it's not all my fault. But um, what are some of the things that you might do differently if you could do it all over again?
1: Um, you know, I was pretty risky when it came down to making some certain trades, the, the trade that I regret. Um, and I, I got decent pieces, but I was chasing the hard hit rate of Ryan Mountcastle a lot. Like I was really, really buying Ryan Mountcastle there. Um, I bought him at the absolute height of his value and I got Reese Hoskins. So I thought, OK, I got two legitimately good hitters. And Hoskins has been fine, but he doesn't hit over 250 ever. So I was basically chasing a guy that was really two category guy. That's, that's home runs and RBIs. And he doesn't even hit that many home runs. You know, he's going to be a 30 home run guy. Uh, And I gave up Julio, uh, Julio Arias in that deal. And I, you know, if I go back on that, um, you know, I had Max Scherzer injured during the postseason. And so I was kind of missing that one last starter that could really guide me. And I basically, in essence, had to trade Max Scherzer for Corey Kluber and Johnny Cueto that week in order to try and compensate for innings and everything. And it it bit bit me in the ass, you know? So I I just, I think that if you look at it, pitching is super valuable. And even if you think you have a plethora of pitching, which I did and my hitting was weak, don't just be quick to give it up to try and improve a category where you're struggling. Sometimes it's, you know, keep your strength and hope that you can make good additions along the way. Had, had I not made that trade for with Julio Arias, I would have still been able to pick up Jake McCarthy. Uh, I would probably have CJ Krohn starting in my lineup instead of on my bench and wasting two home runs the week that I needed home runs, you know. And so, uh, but I had too many first basemen. Um, it, it, so I kind of overcrowded my roster a little bit. When it comes to this offseason, I've got some good names to be able to trade, which is a good thing. And I'm going to have to do that because my lineup has too many okay hitters, but not enough great top tier. And there's too many guys taking up positions where the the comp of their, what they offer is similar uh, to where they'd just be rotting my bench. And I can't have that. So, you know, if I could change it, I think my roster capabilities, the flexibility was not there a lot. Um, I really like guys that offer multiple positions. And I thought Brendan Donovan at the start of this year was going to be one of those guys down the stretch that was going to help me. I ended up having to drop him when he had an insane drop off. It's like he went from hitting everything to hitting nothing. And then he hit a little bit coming back up, but he just hasn't been the same hitter as he was at the start of the year. So, you know, I just wish I didn't make that one trade. I think that one trade really did me in pretty good. um, And I think it played a pretty key role this year and, It'll probably play a key role next year. I, you know, Ryan Mountcastle is going to be a keeper on my team. He'll probably be the worst keeper on my team. But I can't now sit here and not keep him, right? Like, I can't do that. For what I gave up, uh, for the opportunity, he's still a young guy. He's still, analytically speaking, a good player. But my goodness, the drop-off that he had was brutal. Well that
0: that brings up an interesting point to me. And I think this is something that that I struggled with as well. And I think everybody to a certain extent struggles with. So this is probably kind of relatable. The idea that, like when when do you cut ties with someone? When do you decide that this is a lost cause? And yes, I invested all this into getting this player, or I picked this player up and he's done so well, or I picked this player up and Um, I think he's going to eventually do well. Like all these stats are saying he's going to eventually turn it around. Like I think of a Christian Walker. I held him forever. dropped him. I was like, he's going to go off. I just, I can't hold him anymore. Um, And then somebody else picks him up and has him. Or uh, the flip side of that is you hold on to a guy too long and it never turns around. And like I had, you know, examples of guys where it was like Jorge Mateo. You cut ties a little bit too soon, and then he's finished the season so strong here. I mentioned Christian Walker, but then you have other times where you're kind of churning and you get off a guy at a perfect time, or you trade a guy away and then he goes on a you know two for 20 streak after that, and you feel great about it. It's just it's almost impossible to know when the right time to get rid of a player is. And that's something that honestly, like, yes, I, I wish I could do better. And I wish I could every year, but I don't think that's anything that you can ever totally master. Otherwise you would just win fantasy baseball every year.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, uh, advanced stats make this a lot more difficult, right? So Brian Mountcastle will be the, the key on my topic here, because I think he's going to be the most difficult decision that I make, uh, come next year. Right. Do I really want to keep him? No, but I feel the need to, because I wanted him really badly. I, I did. I've wanted him for over a year and the moment that I get him and it costs me so much, he just, it looks like he doesn't know how to hit a baseball. And then lately he's shown from time to time that he can do it. So, you know, that there's the talent there. You look at the advanced stats and it's still showing that he should be good. Right. But you're right. It's like, do you sit there and wait and wait and wait and let your roster just fester? And uh, you know, he's a key reason why I think I lost. I, I truly believe that. I, I think that he played a significant role in that. So you know, do you go for the guys that are safer bets, right? Like, I I, I don't know. And Julio Arias and that deal between Arias, Hoskins, and Mountcastle was obviously at that day the safest bet to be good long-term. We knew what we were getting from Hoskins. We didn't know what we were getting from Mountcastle. Mountcastle could have very well finished the year with like 13 home runs like down the stretch uh, in two months, and I would have been like not shocked by that, right? But he didn't do that. And, you know, the advanced stats supported that he had a chance to be really, really good. And he just didn't do that. So it, it is hard. It, and it's the risk you take. That was the biggest risk I took. I didn't take a lot of risks outside of that. That was a big trade that I made that I, I sit back on. And I'm like, I, I wish I didn't do that. Um, but, you know, th- there's one young name that I parted with. And I'm not upset that I parted with it. I know you did too. It's Andrew Vaughn. Uh, Andrew Vaughn's numbers, uh, he can hit for average, but he doesn't offer a lot of counting stats. And how are we supposed to know that, right? And there's a chance that down the road he does, but he, you know, for a postseason run, he's probably one of those guys that offers you very little. And so I had a hard time with Andrew Vaughn rationalizing early on that that was a guy that I trusted and could win now with. So, you know, it's just hard to say. It really is.
0: So there were a couple things for me that definitely stick out. The first is maybe overvaluing some of the higher-end closers. I I think I kind of bought into the idea that there was that big tier of the guys up top, and then there was kind of a drop-off this year. So one league I ended up with Josh Hader. That obviously didn't work out. Uh, Our our keeper league, I I have Liam Hendricks. And, And he's been good, but he hasn't maybe returned the value of what you would think, although that is a little different since you're just keeping him and it's not like I had to use this round pick on him, right? Um, I don't think I ended up with any shares of him, but like I was a big believer and I know he's on your roster. So I know you are too in rice. L Iglesias. I thought he was going to be like one of the top five closers that didn't work out part of it. He gets traded at the end, but even before the trade, that wasn't really a case. And then um, like I had Giovanni Gallegos. And so, I think kind of all year long, I was kind of chasing, trying to figure out my bullpen. I eventually got it to a point I liked, whether it was with other trades or picking guys up. But I think in years past, I've done a better job of being on top of picking those guys up. This year, I kind of trusted who the top guys were, and I don't like that philosophy as much. I like the ability to kind of be open and free and and pick those guys up, especially since there are so many Uh, good ones and new ones every year. And there's so much turnover at that position. So that was something I I didn't love my management of this year. And then the other one is, and this goes back to kind of what I was talking about with some of those things of finding players like target players that you like and go for them, find certain skills. And and I think sometimes I, I would get too obsessed with the overwhelming map of numbers. You go to like baseball savant and you can trick yourself into thinking that literally every single player is overperforming. So like I I started doing some research on this and like, I just pulled it up for right now, for instance, if you look at batting average, there are 42 players or 41 players right now in the MLB who are hitting 280 or better. But when you go sort it by expected batting average, it's only 18. And, And there's a lot of numbers like that, like the slugging and expected slugging it's always down. And, and once you start thinking about it more, you're like, okay, it's because it's expected. So it's obviously going to revert things more toward the mean than it is toward you know something crazy or the outlier season, which makes sense. But it's a good reminder because sometimes you can psych yourself out and be like, oh, this guy's hitting 280, but it says his XBA is 255. His average is about to drop. Find certain skills. Don't trust everything. So, find the things that you value, find the things that you think are important, and value those. Don't value everything because you can trick yourself in. And and I know for a fact I didn't trade for a couple guys that might have helped me right now because I saw that to be the case, or I might have seen that, you know, this guy's expected batting average or whatever is this. Here's his expected on base and slugging. And if you compare that to the guy that he would be playing over me, it's not even that much better. Uh, sometimes you just got to trust the raw numbers. Sometimes you just can't overcomplicate things. And and it's trying to find that balance for me because I do love stats. And I think stats are super helpful. Like uh, the more numbers you have, the better, but it's knowing which ones and how to use them and not overcomplicating things.
1: And I think just piggybacking off that too, the other thing that you got to do, is you can't really listen to the other people in your league about kind of their assessments on players. I, I did that with Nolan Arenado um, at the very start of the year. You know, people were saying, oh, he's past his prime. He's done. There's there's not a lot of value there. Somebody even told me, like, he's going to finish as a borderline top 100 player. And I think that kind of got in my head a little bit, like, yeah, he probably is. So I got to trade him now. And I'm lucky because in a deal that I traded him for, I got O'Neal Cruz. But, you know, Nolan Arenado... Is finished the year as a MVP candidate, right? So I think it kind of goes to your point of sometimes you have to trust the numbers, trust the resume. Okay. There's something to be said about a guy who hits 300 290, you know, like and has the advanced stats for years. Even if he's 31 years old or 30, they clearly know how to do it and they've done it. Freddie Freeman's a prime example of that, right? Like age isn't everything. Um, we're so you know, encapsulated by the concept of young players that we sometimes forget that some of these older guys produce better than anybody else in the league. So I think that's one thing that's not going to stop me this year. Like a guy like Christian Walker, as you mentioned, I think what he did this year towards the back end is for real. Uh, He's got pieces in his lineup. Now he's going to be one of those guys I struggle with because I kind of want to keep him. Um, And I mean, his baseball savant page is read everywhere. So who knows if that's going to keep up? We've seen the power in the past, but it's just an example that sometimes you got to kind of buy what you've seen in prior years and, and realize that, you know, these guys can be for real and opportunity situations. They come at different times.
0: Okay. Let's finish up with the shotgun six pack. Mike Trout's home run streak makes you think what about his future?
1: Uh, makes me think that he's still got a lot left in the tank and I, I hope he does. Um, you know, we were just told not that long ago that, he had this back problem that was going to affect him forever. Well, does it seem like it's affecting him that badly right now? No. So, I, you know, I hope that they probably slot him at DH for the rest of his career. I really don't want to see him in the outfield. Uh, it scares me. He is one of those guys where he does make a, a leap in the fence and slams to the wall, and is who knows how long he's out. But I, it's obvious he's still got the capability to produce at an elite level Keep him healthy, Angels. Keep him healthy, please. For the love of baseball, please.
0: Yeah, I I think for me it, it tells me that there is a lot left in the tank there, which that is exciting. So yeah, everything that you just said, I echo. I keep him healthy, and I want to see him in the playoffs because could you imagine if he were to do this like in a playoff series, how much fun that would be? Unless you're on the other end of it, that would not. He, be
1: he needs it. He needs to. He deserves it, man. He deserves it.
0: Number two, what will be the number Aaron Judge finishes with for home runs? He's currently at what fifty seven. I'm trying to think if he if he hit one today while we're recording. But I, I don't think he, yeah, I don't
1: think he did. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to say sixty four. Sixty four. I think he breaks uh, the record with Maris. Uh, and I'll be honest in my heart, that means he broke the the overall. But um, yeah, I, I'm going to say sixty four. He passes Maris.
0: I'll say 65. I'll just one up you and do a Prices right. There. <laughs> uh, number three, who would your team, who would you, your team? I don't know. I can't speak. Who would you like your team to sign more? There we go. Trey Turner to a seven year deal or Jacob deGrom to a three year deal.
1: Yeah. It's uh, probably for me, Trey Turner. Um, Trey Turner has shown no signs of breaking down and the offer that he has of just basically getting on base, being a presence on base playing great defense, being anywhere in the lineup he can produce. He can be your leadoff guy. He can be your number two, number three. He's proven that with the Dodgers. Uh, He's been a key piece in that lineup, man. He's just been super special. And DeGrom is unbelievable. I just worry about the health. I really do. Like, Can he be durable for an entire season? I don't know. Now, when you have DeGrom... You know, in a postseason, that's that's scary, man, for an entire game. But you can only really have him go one game, maybe two in an entire series versus you have Trey Turner making an impact in every game. I'm going to say Trey Turner.
0: Yeah, I like Trey Turner as well, Um, but it would be tempting to have DeGrom just to get to watch him pitch on your team like that's got to be fun. Number four, how many teams are actually alive for the playoffs? So obviously it includes teams that that are clinched because obviously they are alive for the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you look at the wild card standings in the NL right now, and, and of course you got the three on either side. So you have the Dodgers, Mets, Cardinals, Braves, Phillies, Padres, Brewers. That's your sec your group in the NL right there. So I got seven there, and then in the AL you have the Astros, Yankees, Guardians, Blue Jays, Mariners, Rays. I know the Orioles are five games out. I'm still including them in this because I still think there's a shot. I don't think there's a shot for the White Sox really outside of the division itself, which they do. I just I, – I don't buy the White Sox at all. For whatever reason, the Twins have just gone off on a massive fallout, so I'm going to cut them out of this thing. I think the Guardians have wrapped it up, so I'm only going to say seven on either side, so 14 total. What about you?
0: I would put the White Sox in there. Yeah, it does feel like the Twins are kind of fading too far away, and we know they have not been a great team in the clutch in uh, their franchise of late. Uh, how many homers does Albert Pujols end the year with? So, uh, career.
1: Yeah, I – I hope that he hits seven hundred. I think he can get there. I'm gonna say just because it sounds cool, let's do seven oh five. I want him to have seven hundred. Wow. Yeah, I want him to go on a massive tear on the final. He was week on a season. trout. I, I want him to go on a trouty, man. I like. I want him to end with seven hundred and then just have five more. And because he was number five, this is all just nostalgia. That would be pretty cool. Like like you could have like a graphic that says 700 and then is number five. It just seems right. I don't know. It seems pr- pr- like poetic, if you will.
0: All right. He hits 700, but then they go back and look at the tape after the season and they see that one of them was a double and he has to only have 699 and then he has to come back for another year and he they make a movie about it called Mr.
1: 700. <laughs> Hollywood's all over that one, man. That's a, a Disney movie if I've ever seen one. <laughs>
0: Uh, last one, what beer is best for September baseball down the stretch?
1: Yeah, this is a, this is a good one. Um, you know, I think of September, I think of the fall leaves turning, I think, of you know, weather's a little colder. I need an Amber of some sort. So give me a Samuel Adams, uh, Amber. I, I think that's probably my, my go-to around this time.
0: I was going to go Oktoberfest as well. We're the yep. same there. Perfect fall beer. I like the free state Oktoberfest here in the area. Well, that that is (laughs) booze and baseball. Enjoy a uh, Oktoberfest on us, but don't do it while you're driving. That's stupid. Uh, For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. See you next time on B&B.